Hey, everybody, before we get started, Dave Rettelberger here along with Paul Hooper. And we kind of want to take you today behind the scenes with Adventures in Venue Land. And before we started this podcast, we had to try one on our own. So today we're going to take you back to an episode that Paul and I recorded in August of 2020, where we just interviewed each other, got to know each other a little bit. Obviously, we've known each other from attending the Vent Arena Marketing Conference for years and years, but finding out our histories, the adventures that we've had in Venue Land over the years. We did that as kind of our test pilot episode, and it has remained in the vaults until now, right? So today we're going to share that episode with you and let you get to know your hosts of Adventures in Venue Land. But Paul, since this whole adventures has started, it's been amazing to see the response we've gotten. And I'm, I'm so grateful for all the great response and the love that the podcast is seeing so far. Absolutely. And, you know, as you mentioned, we recorded this sort of test episode back in August and we weren't really sure when we were going to launch it. And maybe at one point thought it could be September or October. And then we got kind of close to the election time. And I feel like everyone's uh, mind was maybe in another place at that point. So we decided to go for it in November, sort of after the dust settled a little bit. And it's been great. And what that's afforded us is we had the opportunity to record a number of episodes with guests before then. So when we did launch, we didn't have to spread it out to our normal twice a month kind of model that we actually talked about in this episode. And instead, we've been able to do an episode a week. And then now we are settling into our every other week schedule, which is great. And that I think we're going to be able to maintain. But we've had some great guests and a lovely response from everyone so far that's really enjoying being engaged and hearing about people's stories. And, you know, it's very much what we are intending and hoping this podcast to be. Yeah, thanks to everybody who's been listening and sending comments. And we're also planning some new ideas, too, where maybe we just interview people who are kind of in a hot topic situation they're dealing with right now. Could just be like little mini episodes. So lots of fun stuff in the works. The response has been amazing. And look forward to getting to know, gosh, there's so many people that we want to talk to. And that's our biggest challenge is fighting our way because we have a long, long list and some great episodes coming our way. But before we start this episode, a few things we do want to touch on. Number one, since August, my life has changed quite a bit. I'm still with Ohio State University. I'm still with the Schottenstein Center Nationwide Arena in Columbus, but we haven't done any shows for a while. So as of right now, I am redeployed. And that means that I am helping run one of, if not the largest COVID testing facility in America. We are on the campus of Ohio State testing all the students, faculty, staff. It is a huge undertaking. The facility that I'm working at alone, we were doing upwards of 20,000 people a week that we were bringing in for testing. Wow, jeez. All in this one building, it's a saliva test. We weren't sticking Q-tips up anybody's nose, but here it is. It's what 2020 has been. It's been a year of reinvention, right? And so when we didn't have shows to promote, well, will I help make sure that students spit in tubes all right? Absolutely, yeah. We have a great student staff, a lot of the medical students that are there working the venue, and I'm just there behind the scenes trying to keep everything running with a great team of Schottenstein Center and Ohio State folks who are there running it. But I'm working, you know, some days, you know, 10, 11 hours on concrete floors. It's hard, right? It's like a show day every day Wow, and uh, not nearly as much fun. <laughs> yeah, the headliner right. is COVID and they're hopefully leaving the stage soon. <laughs> While that's been happening, I got to give a shout out to Vanessa Cromer. I am president of EAMC and Vanessa has stepped in in a big way, not only to help with the podcast, but also to help things rolling with EAMC while I've been tied up there at the testing center. And Paul, you've been working with a great team of people behind the scenes as well, right? Absolutely. And, you know, when we recorded this 
episode initially, it was very much at that point still this brainchild of the two of us, and we weren't really sure what we were going to do with it, much less who we would pull in or how much help we would need because we hadn't recorded an episode, much less edited or planned the marketing or the rollout of it. I've had Samantha Marker and Megan Ebeck, who is on the planning committee for the Event Arena Marketing Conference, join our team, and I dubbed them the social squad. But basically, we're this hive mind of strategy on releasing the episodes and also all the content that comes along with it. So if you've been following along this far, you've seen that we've got quotes, we highlight the different fast five that happens at the end of each episode, we have screen grabs. So they've really been a massive help with strategizing that, writing the copy, doing the design work so much. As much as Dave and I are very much the hosts of this, it is a huge team effort and there's a lot more people behind the scenes. So huge thanks to Megan Ebeck and Samantha Marker. Yeah, thanks to them. And and again, thanks to everybody who's listening. If you have suggested a show idea, you have somebody you think could make a great guest, or if you think you'd be a great guest, hey, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us anytime, either through our social media channels, probably the best place, but also you can do it through the EAMC website as well. So lots of great stuff to come. And much like Seinfeld, Star Trek, we are now proud to present the pilot that has kind of remained hidden until now. Before we get started, Paul, anything else to add? We're really excited for everyone to be listening and enjoying the interviews and can't wait to show you everything else that we've already recorded or have planned for the future. For sure. So this is your chance to get to know your hosts a little better. So hope you enjoy this episode. Here it is, the previously unaired pilot of Adventures in Venueland. Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Hey, Paul, great to finally be getting this underway with you. Good to talk to you today. Welcome to the broadcast. Uh, This is something we've been talking about for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I think we brought it up maybe a year, year and a half ago is just sort of another way that we could reach people primarily for the conference. But I think it was just something that we felt like it was another means to get in front of people. But it's definitely something we've been beating around for a while. And I think back when we first brought it up, you and I both looked at each other and were like, this is something we need to do. And neither one of us has any time to do it. So (laughs) let's just keep kicking that down the road a little further. And now we have a little time on our hands. You mentioned the conference. What is the conference? Uh, What is this podcast? Who are we? That's what we're going to cover here. This is kind of our test episode. We just want, if if you want to learn a little bit more about who the hosts are, kind of what the podcast is all about, this episode is for you as we just kind of lay out what we think, at this point, what we think our roadmap is going to be. So, Paul, when we talk about this podcast, Adventures in Venue Land, what can people expect when they tune in for an episode? I think one of the big focuses that we want to have is highlighting people's stories in this industry. So, I mean, that's going to 
also relate to any new kind of pertinent things they're working on that are really interesting, but it's also going to be a lot of evergreen information that is their experience and their growth and how do they get to where they're at. And I think a big, big focus that we're going to have is on diversity of guests. So there's going to be veterans that have worked in this industry for 45, 50 years and other people that maybe have only been in it for three or four and are kind of fresh out of college and have a different perspective completely. So I think the idea is to really just dive into each of these people, see what their experiences have been as they've grown, and hopefully people can relate to that and learn something from it, but also reach out to these people and use it to grow in their own industry. Right. You know, we're recording this in August of 2020, best year ever, right? <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's obviously that's going to flavor a bit of our conversation as we kind of go through this is we'll talk people that are in the industry right now, people that are find themselves out of the industry. But, you know, hopefully a lot of the content is evergreen and something for when people are new to the industry, whether they're out of college or like myself, found myself new in the industry at a later age some great resources and some great people that you can then connect with. You mentioned the conference, and obviously we'll talk about it here in a few minutes, but we come from a marketing background. But for this podcast, we're looking to go beyond. We'll definitely have some talk about marketing, and that'll be a big focus for a lot of it, but helping to expand beyond that as well. I think the conference itself maybe even started as just a marketing conference back in the day, and now it's expanded to marketing and public relations, group sales, publicity on the venue side, on the promoter side, ticketing and all these different companies and businesses because they're all related, they're all intertwined. So I think just like that, we would do ourselves a disservice if we narrowed that too much to be just event marketing or just venue marketing because there's so many other people that are dealing in that same category or related category. So I think the idea is definitely to cover that and focus on it a fair amount, but also talk to people on the promoter side, maybe even some agents, just anything that falls under that event and venue industry, I think can all be pertinent that we all want to hear from. And you know, it's a great point, Paul. And one of the things that we know the people that we know, right, but we're looking to reach beyond those people as well. So let's just say right off the bat, if you're listening to this podcast and you think, hey, I know somebody that's got a great story, or I've got a great story that I think is worth sharing, please reach out to us. You know, you can go to the EAMC website, the Event Arena Marketing Conference website. You can reach out to us. We'll give our information here at the end of today's episode. We'd love to hear from you because, you know, there's definitely a lot of great folks out there with a lot of stories to tell, and we definitely have a lot to learn. We want to keep it as open as possible. So we're going to know people that we've obviously come across, but there's so many other people in this industry and we want to highlight them too. So please reach out to us if you know someone or have worked with them in the past. You know, we want to hear about all of them. So we've talked about it a couple of times. So let's mention it here. We start off the episode by saying this is an EAMC podcast. So EAMC, what is that? It's the Event and Arena Marketing Conference. Paul, if somebody's never heard of or been to this conference, you don't need to know about this to listen to the podcast, but it's a big part of how we got to where we are today and why we're here. So would you fill people in a little bit on what is EAMC? There's a number of conferences that sort of cover the live entertainment industry. And as you can imagine, there's ones that cover the ticketing side and there's ones that are geared more towards general managers. So EAMC is really the one that's focused on marketing, publicity, and PR, and group sales, and kind of anything that falls in that realm. 
but there's a lot of people that are involved in that, just as I said previously. So you not only have the people that are at the venue doing marketing, but then you have marketing reps at a ticketing company and promoter, marketing reps, all these different people. So it really is all of those people coming together once a year, meeting up, sharing ideas, and just seeing where the industry is heading. I'm the current president of EAMC, and your role right now is? I'm the VP of Marketing and Communications. There you go. So Paul and I met at the conference, and so it's definitely a big piece of how we got into this industry. And I remember very clearly, this is exactly why you need to listen to this podcast, right? As I remember that I was at one of my very first conferences, and Paul Hooper is up on stage Uh talking about some at the time, revolutionary idea for an online scavenger hunt. Oh, yeah. Right. And you had done something, uh, boy, I don't know, was it dinosaurs or something or globetrotters or? Yeah, I think, was that possibly Indianapolis? Was that your first? Yes. Yes, it was Indianapolis. So, yeah, that was about these ticket hunts we used to do around campuses here locally which was, as almost all great ideas, were stolen from someone else. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I think I said that in that, but I basically ripped it off of Tony Hawk, the skateboarder who I follow on social media because I used to be into skateboarding. And one of the cool things I saw him do was he would go in different cities. He would hide his skateboards that he'd signed and put them around in these really obscure places and cities and then send out little clues of where it was. And he would just have all these people flock there. So we kind of ripped that idea and, you know, used it to promote tickets. Yeah. We talked about that in Indy. I remember. That was 2011. And I remember my boss leaning over to me and going, yeah, this guy's got it figured out. And I was like, oh, wow. I never thought about using social media like that at the time. It was a new idea. So I immediately stole it. (laughs) I'm glad that I had the illusion of having it figured out. I don't definitely did not. Well, and we, and we still don't, right? Which is why we're looking forward to learning some stuff here too. That's exactly what we're hoping to do is provide you with great ideas that you can steal whatever end of the industry you're coming from or whether you're just interested in this as a whole. It's a great thing in that the marketing conference right now is something that in 2020 is not happening, but we are still doing some online content and those kind of things. And, and if you want more details on the conference as a whole, eventarenamarketing.com, or you can Google EAMC, find the Event Arena Marketing Conference. Once you're there, there's contact us and you can reach out to us anytime through that with any suggestions you have. This is what the podcast is going to be about. You know, a wide variety of guests, like we talked about, very diverse is a, diversity is a big goal for us, even with EAMC and with this podcast, but a little bit about you and me. Now let's give them a little bit of background on who we are. So let's start with you. Paul Hooper, he said that I met you in, first in, in 2011. But who are you? How'd you get involved with the live entertainment industry? And where are you at these days? It's a bit of a winding road, as I think is the case with a lot of people. Yes. I definitely did not intend to go into this industry. I've always had a passion for music and art. And when I was middle school and high school, I was in an art program and thought I was going to be some sort of artist at some point. And then in high school, I got really into biology and I wanted to be a marine biologist. So I actually went to... Really? (laughs) You might not even know this, but I went to college thinking, I'm going to go study marine biology in one of the Carolinas and work on the coast and study sharks. I had no idea. (laughs) So about a year, year and a half in... I was like, I don't know if I, like, I love marine (laughs) biology, but I don't know if I want to do marine biology. 
And meanwhile, I was kind of teaching myself digital design because I had previously worked in, you know, very traditional media of art um, with, you know, pencil painting, et cetera. So I taught myself Photoshop and all these various other things. And I also started blogging and I was into, this was another twist in the road. I was into video game journalism. I was playing a lot of video games at the time and I was covering different game releases. I also was into kind of reviewing movies. So I set up a number of different blogs, different websites. Um, I think I even did a podcast or two way back in the day. I think this wow. was like 2000, 2005, 2006. So this was pre-podcast pandemonium. <laughs> I guess I was involved in all those different things and kind of not really sure what I was going to be doing like any good college person. And during that time, I found my way into an internship at Rupp Arena, Lexington Center. And they basically were looking for, because I think my boss at the time had gone to, I don't know if it was EAMC or it was maybe another marketing conference, but one of the conferences and they were talking about blogs and kind of like you're saying with, you know, using social media back in 2011 at the time, they, this was probably around 2008. That's when I started. They were talking about blogs and, you know, does every venue have a blog? How are you using it? How are we going to, you know, take advantage of them to market shows? So she knew I had a lot of experience with blogging and sort of managing and creating and designing and everything that went into it. And then the design portion was kind of just icing because it was just me being able to take some load off of the other designer in the department. So I ended up getting the internship to create this blog to market a Lincoln Park show back in 2008 <laughs> because they were like, we can't reach these people coming to Lincoln Park. How do we market them? Uh, we'll use a blog. And we'll start it from scratch and we'll, you know, flip it around in a month. But sounds sounds about right for how things go, right? We just throw stuff at the wall sometimes. So I started in January of 08 and started the blog and put everything I had into it. I was starting as an intern. I think I was initially supposed to work maybe 10 hours a week. And I believe the second week I was working 40 hours a week and I was paid. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> but I was basically just doing everything I could to make myself invaluable and kind of, you know, move up in the industry. And it didn't take very long before I just completely fell in love with the industry because this was a business that involved music and entertainment and all these things that I'd loved for my whole life and just had never really it was kind of weird, but I never really thought about people working in venues. You know, it was always like a place you would go to go to see the circus when you were a kid or go see a concert. But I never really broke it down and thought, oh, man, there's people working in the offices there. And I wonder what they do. You know, it was just never front of mind. And then once I got into it, I was just obsessed and fell in love with the industry. So then, you know, over the years, I got various promotions and kind of took on more graphic design. The blog sort of went away at some point, just as blogs sort of phased out. Social media became way more prevalent. So we jumped in really early. I was already involved in them just from the video game industry side. So got really early and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I remember talking to my boss and the GM and other people and kind of pitching it to them. And they 
didn't know what they didn't know. So they're just like, sure, whatever, create whatever you want. Just make sure there's no fire that happens, you know, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just make sure we don't regret it later, but do whatever you need. And then of course now there's such this huge prominent, prominent part, but it's so funny at the time it was very much like you said, throwing stuff at the wall and just seeing, you know, can we use this Facebook thing to like actually reach people and sell the show? And how effective is that going to be? Kind of one thing led to the other and I'm worked there for, 13 years, worked my way up to marketing and promotions manager. So oversaw all the promotions on the arena side, helped manage the team we had of a coordinator and a designer and did graphic design still. So I never really let that go because it was always something I enjoyed. I took on a whole lot of photography. So I started doing all of our house photography for all the venues, as well as doing freelance live music photography on the side. But yeah, I just kind of got my hands into everything, got consumed by it really. And for EAMC, my first conference was 20. 10, I guess, which was Chicago, which was the 30th anniversary conference. And I got to go to that one with a coworker and it was amazing. Again, I just sort of fell in love with it. I remember wanting to take full advantage. And I think it was a mix of that and also the classic FOMO of fear of missing out. But I would basically end every night at the hotel bar and stay there until there was no one left at the bar for me to chat with and meet. <laughs> and so I remember meeting people there, like my first conference and hanging out with them, you know, really late. And it, you know, seemed kind of like, I wonder, like, should I be doing this? Should I be staying up late? But then some of those people have become lifelong friends of mine. And it's kind of amazing what those relationships lead to. You know, ever since then, I've joined the planning committee. I joined the board. I became an assistant to Sheila Francis when she was VP of communications. Then Sheila became the new president. I took over uh, communications and marketing. And then here I am. And then currently, uh, the latest uh, <laughs> excitement. <laughs> it's 2020. So, yeah. So, yeah, I was furloughed like so many others. I think our furlough kicked in in April. And about 90 to 95% of our staff were furloughed. So I was home. And then in June, I was alerted along with about 65 other people that I would be laid off at the end of July. As much of a bummer as that is, probably everyone listening to this will not be shocked by it because it's just so prevalent in the industry now. It's terrible. It's sad. But so many of us at venues all over the country have been laid off or furloughed. And, you know, it's it, the, the probably the saddest thing, which I know it took me a while to sort of cope with it. And I feel like I've gotten over it, hopefully, is probably one of the hardest things when people do first find out is that so many of us put all of our heart into this industry. So it's, right, right. I think that's the hardest thing is that you you would always assume that if you got laid off from a job, it would be from lack of commitment or it would be from some sort of grave mistake you made. And so for so many people, it's just, it's literally financials. So it's out of our control. And, you know, I think that's one of the tough things is you put so much in and then at the end of the day, a big global pandemic. And, you know, we're far from the only industry being affected by this, but it's, it's, yeah, it's just kind of devastating to, to the industry. 
Yeah, launching a podcast about the live entertainment industry uh, when there is not a live entertainment <laughs> industry is a, uh, is, a, is, a, is a bold move. But hey, right. this is what we're here for, right? Because voices like yours, I think, are, are what we need to hear from. I think, you know, there are other people out there in your situation who may not have a network of people to rely on and may not have those connections. And so we want to be your connection to the entertainment industry. We want to be that kind of like we talked about that all access pass that gets you involved and know that there are people out there in the same situations as you and going through this. Paul, as you're, tell me if I'm getting too personal, but as you're going through this, I know that you, kind of as you were saying, much like me, working in the venue becomes not just a job that you're proud of, but it becomes so intertwined with your personal identity. So now that you're finding yourself with all this unexpected time on your hands, what are you doing to stay, you know, mentally healthy? Yeah, that's a good question. It's not too personal. We can peel back all the layers of the onion (laughs) if you want. It all started when I was four. (laughs) I think we're all kind of figuring it out, right? So obviously there is this excitement high of working in the industry that we do. And I don't know if there's anything that can really substitute that. So when you're working two or three events a week and you're seeing live music. I mean, there's nothing like live no, music. You're... I'll be the first to tell people that I am not a fan of country music personally, but I will really enjoy a live country music show because it's Amen. just live music. Like the audience, the crowd is so electric. Everyone there bought a ticket to see that show. So they are all so invested in it. Whether it's something you would like personally, it really doesn't matter because It's just such this experience. So I don't know if there's any substitute that can really fill in for that just because it's so unique and there's such this high from that. And I think beyond the people that work there, of course, everyone's missing that, just people that attended those events and even live sports. But I think personally, I've just tried to see what else I can do to take up my time. You know, obviously, I'm still involved with EAMC, as you mentioned, and we've been doing the EAMC at Home series, which has been our sort of virtual substitute, if you will, for the conference. And for me, to be totally honest, while I was working, you know, you get so consumed with work and you often work these crazy hours that... I would have all these excuses not to go for walks and kind of take better care of myself. So now there's no excuses. So I'm kind of like every day I'm like, (laughs) what else do you have to do? Watch another Netflix episode or do you want to go for a long walk? So I've sort of held myself accountable to that. And then just doing different projects at home. So I've been sort of working on my backyard, but you know, I, I definitely don't have the solution to it all. I'm figuring it out like everyone else. Right. I laugh because I often we say, you know, one day at a time, right? Yeah. Because you yeah. Know, at, at this point, and this is not too different even from when things are quote unquote normal and you're trying to get through some weird on sale and hey, it's just we'll get through today and then we'll get to tomorrow, tomorrow. But right now it's not just one day at a time. It's one hour at a time. I find it, you know, there's so much that changes over the course of a day and my emotions go from you know, feeling really confident to like completely heartbroken and sad for the industry to optimistic to back and forth, yeah. like a roller coaster all the, all the time, all the time. Like you said, it's this wave of emotion. And I think as much as I said, oh, you know, I've kind of gotten past some of the pain. You really, I think it was Jim Delaney. When I talked to him sort of early when I found out I was getting laid off, he was kind of just relating it to grief and how, you know, you have all these stages of grief that you go through whenever you experience grief. 
and you have this denial and you have anger and you have all these things. So, you know, I think we're all not only going through that for our jobs, but also just going through it with loss of normality. And what does that look like? And missing going into restaurants like you used to be able to do, missing seeing as many friends as, you know, there's just so much that has changed. So I think we're all kind of going through it and it's really easy to get through some stages and then, you know, run into a bad day or see a negative article and then bounce back a couple steps. And then you're, like you said, thinking, oh my God, am I going to see a live concert ever again in my life? And then an hour later, you might read an article that's talking about some arena in Germany who's doing events with 6,000 people. And then you're kind of like, oh, well, we might have them in the next few months. So it's amazing <laughs> the highs and lows that come from it. Yeah, Like you mentioned, we're all sort of in it together. It's not a great thing, but I think there is a lot of comfort in knowing that we're all riding the roller coaster at the same time. Yeah, right. And we, we just don't know when it's going to stop. That's all, all part of the fun. Or if there's any track left. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, thanks for kind of letting us into the uh, the world of Paul Hooper. And brief background on me, Dave Rettelberger. Do I get to introduce you? Sure. Yeah. I do feel I have to say on this that Dave, which he'll tell you about, but he has a history in radio. So I do have <laughs> a little bit of a complex in that he has this preloaded radio voice. So whenever he's asking me questions, I feel like it is a proper radio interview. Paul Hooper, welcome to the broadcast today, and we're glad to have you here. Uh, the top hit from 1989. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I did. I spent a lifetime in radio before getting into this. So short version is my name is Dave, but my parents named me David Joseph. So my first two initials would be DJ because my dad always wanted to get in radio, but his parents wouldn't let him. My grandparents said, no, you got to get a real job. So he was like, when you get to the right age, you go into radio. So I was kind of, you know, born. <laughs> born into the industry. And so when I was 16, one day my mom came home and said, hey, at the small town radio station here in town, a whole bunch of people were let go and they're looking for people to come in. And so I went in and I said to the program director, I said, I have no radio experience. He said, that's great. That's exactly what I'm looking for because then you're going to do everything the exact way that I teach you to do it. It was great. I went in and then I spent the next 20 years on a radio. And I'm a huge music fan. I think you'll find that as a common thread of people that are in this industry, right? I have no musical skill at all. And you talk about the high that you get from a, a live music event. And that is so true. And there is nothing like it short of being a rock star yourself. Right. And so radio was my ability to be a local rock star for about 20 years. I did time playing light and easy hits in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. And then I did a top 40 in Dayton, Ohio for a while. And then I moved to Columbus, Ohio, where I worked at a classic rock station, a hard rock station, alternative rock station. And one of those things where you just wear all these hats. And all of a sudden, one day I found myself out of the radio industry because it's a very volatile industry and it's getting smaller and smaller all the time. So, you know, I was looking, what am I going to do next? And luckily I had a great relationship with our local venues and a woman named Leslie Lane who I will be forever grateful for when she had an opening. I said, you know, she remembered because I would always be the guy coming to her with ideas for shows. Here's how we can sell tickets for this. Here's my idea for this. Here's my idea for this from radio. And I would always go above and beyond of just the most basic promotions, just get creative and showing these ideas of how we would, you know, kind of just throwing stuff against the wall, right? Some wacky radio contests, right? But it showed that I cared and, and I did care because I love live music. And so she saw that passion and, and brought me in. And so now, 
for the past 10 years, I've been a part of Columbus Arena Sports and Entertainment, and that is Ohio State University. And the two big venues in Columbus, the Schottenstein Center and Nationwide Arena, it's Ohio State. It's the Blue Jackets on the NHL side all together, and we run both arenas. We also do shows at the big Ohio Stadium, 100,000 seats there. We've done Taylor Swift and Jay-Z, Beyonce, and all the big stadium tours that come through town. So it's been great because I've been blessed to be able to pick up and move to the venue that was a competitor for so long. Both venues kind of got built in the same time and they were competitors and now they work together. And, and so I get to spend half the week at this office and half the week at this office. And of course, it's 2020. And now I spend all my week at home. Right. So, <laughs> but it's that same thing where we're just throwing ideas at the wall, right. And finding what will stick. How can we sell tickets? How can we help this industry? Because we have such passion for it. There's such a love for this live entertainment industry. So as I mentioned earlier, 2011 was my first marketing conference that I went to. I met a lot of people, but I remember being at that one and I didn't really know a lot of people, my first one that I went to. And so I remember as everybody's going out that night after the conference had wrapped up, kind of standing in the lobby of the field house there in downtown Indianapolis thinking, I don't really know any of these people and I want to know these people. So I found my way to meet people one at a time and get into that group and uh, and now I'm, I'm president of the conference. God help us all, right? But uh, president of a conference that doesn't have a conference, right? Because <laughs> it's 2020 and uh, navigating our way through that. So that's a long way of saying that what I've been able to do is meet so many great people. And the, while these sessions that we have through the conference, whether it's at home or have been very valuable, the best connections have been the people and getting to know these people that I can call when I've got an issue with an on sale or a artist that doesn't want to approve this type of promotion and we need to sell tickets or they're demanding this kind of art be used or we're stuck without art or whatever the issue may be the controversy that goes along with hosting certain types of shows. There's people always something that I can pick up the phone and say, how did you handle this when you had this? And so that's our goal with this podcast is to kind of be that resource of how are you handling this? Whether it's handling the extra time on your hands for a furlough, handling new venue guidelines, handling just survival in this industry. There's so many stories out there and that's what we want to tackle. So, you know, now that people know a little bit about us. Before we go forward, I have yeah. to dig a little bit deeper Uh-oh. into your history. You, you <laughs> seem to move really fast there and not give me any time to ask further questions. <laughs> Very secretive. One thing I guess I'm super curious about is you were a DJ, right? When you were in radio. Yeah. yeah. So did that marketing side of it, which I obviously was something that was recognized when you changed industries, but did that marketing side come natural to you? Is that something that you just got better at as the years went on? Or how did that sort of develop to where you got to where you were in this sort of creativity flow where you would throw out all these crazy ideas? And then, you know, of course, then it seems natural that you can move over into marketing at a building and it's really kind of the same thing. You're thinking of promotions and ideas. It's funny that you ask and I'm not I'm not ever comfortable kind of being the guy that says, oh, hey, I come up with all these creative ideas. But when you do a morning show for radio and you've got four to four and a half hours of live compelling content to create every day, that's not like the Tonight Show. Tonight Show is on five days a week, right? That's a lot of content, but that's one hour a night and a team of writers. So when you've got a morning show, you've got four to four and a half hours of content. Now, there is music in there, of course, and commercial breaks, but still, you've got to provide that content. So creativity on demand 
is just a skill that gets honed when you're doing radio. Because even if you're hosting an afternoon drive show and you're coming out of a break, how are you going to come out of that Joan Jett, I Love Rock and Roll for the 150th time (laughs) and say something different? How do you keep it compelling when you're playing those same top 40 songs over and over again? How do you find that fresh angle? So you're constantly being forced to be creative. And so it just kind of becomes in your blood where you've got to be creative on demand. And sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes I I will literally say to people, give me 24 hours and I'll just let it rattle around and then something will pop out, right? But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes nothing comes. (laughs) But that's the whole idea. And radio, I remember I was always going to my boss when I was doing one of the morning shows. And I'd say, hey, why aren't we doing this? Why are we doing this? Let's, we should try this. And one day he came to me and he said, hey, Dave, have you ever thought about, instead of being on air, being our marketing director? And I said, "Uh, you know, I never have. He said, well, why don't you think about it? I said, all right, let me give you the night and I'll, I'll think about it. And so was that him nudging you saying, you know, you're not very good on air. <laughs> maybe, but, uh... <laughs> maybe, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I went home and I thought about it. I thought about it for 24 hours. I came back in and I told him the next day, I said, I, look, I know this comes with a nice big raise and a little more job security, but I'm going to pass. I'm not a marketing guy. I'm a DJ. And he said, actually, you're going to be our next marketing director. (laughs) And so the change was made out of my control, right? But there you go. You have to be open to doors that you may not expect to come your way. And so for whatever reason, I found myself having to learn a new skill set, which God, I'm so glad I did (laughs) (laughs) because it just led me to this career, which I just love. I have such passion for this industry and I love so many of the people and people get so mad at Ticketmaster or Live Nation, and they forget that there's actual people there, and there's great people behind these things, the people that really care and want to do the right things and want to help fans find and enjoy live music. That's, that's what I do. We have a sign hanging up at the Schottenstein Center when we enter, and it just hangs above the door, and it says, we make memories. And that's what I love is I don't find a way to sell tickets. What I do is I find a way to help people have the best night or a night they won't forget. And maybe it's a night that, you know, is their best night of the week. Maybe sometimes the best night of the year, but sometimes it's the best, one of the best nights of your life. Because there are certain concerts, and I'm sure you've got a couple, Paul, that you remember as like that. It's just, there's a magic to it, right? When a show just hits at the right time and it's that right artist, it, it transcends anything else, any other experience of, you know, a movie, which is pre-recorded and it could be awesome or, you know, a favorite TV show or a great meal, but an amazing concert, there is nothing in the world like that. And there are certain nights at live shows that I've seen that stay with me the rest of my life. And so maybe, maybe, you know, we are trying to sell tickets and put butts in seats, but at the end of the day, we're doing it because we're making the world a bit of a better place. And I really believe in that. I mean, I could not have said it better. And I think that's exactly the approach that I had to it as well. You know, at the end of the day, of course, there's finances and of course, there's people that have to make money and there's a lot of checks that have to be written and everyone's got to get their cut to make sure it makes sense. But really, when you're thinking about it, at least for me personally, and I think more on the marketing side, this would be probably pretty common. But when you're thinking about it, you're thinking of how do we tell people about this show to get them to come here to have that experience? Just as you said, you're wanting people to have that release and have that moment that sometimes they have stuff they're going through in their life. Yes. And it's a good release. Sometimes it's just a great experience with a friend or something from high school or college. And 
you'll always have that memory of seeing that show with that tour and that band. There's such a unique experience there. Nothing will repeat. You could see literally the same show the next night with the same friend and it will be different. There's just something so unique about that just makes it so special. We're in the business of making memories for people and everyone that's there bought a ticket to see that show, that artist. And they're all in that moment together. It's really just something special. You've talked about it for a fan, but even from an artist's perspective, I'm sure you've had this experience when you've been backstage. Part of our job was often we end up backstage with the artist before the show. And when they are excited, right? Maroon 5 kicking off their first arena tour. And we are talking to them and they're so excited that it's the first time they've ever sold out an arena. And it's opening night of the tour and you're part of that. That was so great. Or even... My last live show before all this shut down was a country act named Dan and Shay. We were the second stop of the tour, but it was their first stop outside of Nashville. So they rehearsed in Nashville. They launched the show in Nashville, but we were the first stop on the road and they were playing in front of a packed house. And I remember they were just like, we finally feel like we're on the road. We finally feel like we're going on tour. And this is just, and their, their excitement, right? From the artist side to be part of that. Of course, the tour got shut down a day or two later. Right, of course. <laughs> but, but we had those memories, right? We have those memories and we're not going to let go of them. It's electric for everyone. It's amazing. And there are so many experiences, just like you said. I think our, it wasn't our last show, but I think it was maybe our second or third to last show we had. Sturgill Simpson and Tyler Childers. And oh, yeah. both of those guys are great. And everyone knows and have found out about them, but they're also both Kentucky boys. So Sturgill was playing in small bands and playing around Lexington, lived in Lexington for a while. Tyler Childers had literally just kind of blown up because really months probably earlier has been playing a much smaller room. And then months before that was playing, you know, an even smaller room. For these two people to come play Rupp Arena, it wasn't just playing an arena show. There is something unique to playing a crowd that big and kind of having your first big arena show, which they would played some other shows before ours on the tour. But it was like playing at that arena in that city, in that state, where they probably felt like a third of the crowd is their family and friends. Yeah. And you have these memories of going to basketball games there. And it's just something so unique And I think everyone has that experience. So even these artists that so many people put on pedestals, they're humans at the end of the day, just as you and I know. And in the best and worst ways, there's jerks and there's really, really, really nice people because they're humans. They're they're humans like everyone, right? Right. Because of that, they also grew up going to concerts, so many of them. So they have the same experiences that you're having at their concert from when they were younger and seeing their favorite artists live. And so when we had, and I'm not trying to just name drop awesome Kentucky artists, but it's going to sound like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When we had Chris Stapleton, he took this huge moment during his set and talked about this memory of sitting in the last row in the arena, in that same arena and seeing a show. It's just kind of mind boggling where you can imagine this young Chris Stapleton in the arena watching one of his favorite artists and then fast forward 10, 15, 20 years later and now he's in front of a sold out crowd in that same arena and there's other people out there that he's their favorite artist. And, you know, it, it's just this weird repetition. And maybe there'll be one of those people that plays the arena 15 years from now. Right. There's just so much passion in the industry from the top to the bottom. I got to tell, telling stories. So that's what this whole podcast is about, right, is telling stories. You telling that story reminds me of Tyler from 21 Pilots. 
They are an Ohio band. I could tell a couple of Kentucky stories. So this is my Ohio band. He played basketball for his high school and they played in the state championship games, the state tournament at the Schottenstein Center. That's amazing. So they played on that court there at the Schottenstein Center. And then years later, he's able to come back as a rock star and sell out the arena within seconds. That's that whole circle of life, right? Where you're right. It does mean more than just playing a show. It's that connection. And it's a big deal for the artists. It's a big deal for the fans. It's a big deal for those of us who work and live in this industry. I'm hoping everyone's looking for silver linings. There's a very big, dark cloud of this pandemic. But one of the silver linings I'm hoping is that so many people are talking about through this tragedy of furloughs and layoffs, that it's raising an awareness for the human side of the industry. Because I think if you talk to any average person, when you told them about concerts at buildings, you know, they have their own great experiences of seeing whatever artists live. But at the end of the day, they kind of chalk that industry up to like, oh, they're just printing money because they have, you know, this big artist and they're charging me a gazillion dollars for a concert ticket. And they're just printing money over there. If they have any problems, boohoo for them because they're swimming in Scrooge McDuck pond of money. And so I'm hoping that maybe at the end of this, we can look back and see that it sort of highlights the human side and maybe people that are outside of our industry realize that it's so much more than that. There is a fair amount of money that's involved in it, but also that money gets divided up in 100,000 ways and you pay the crew, you pay the staff at the building with it, you pay everyone from the person letting you into the parking lot that night, right, all the way down to the person sweeping up the confetti after the show's done. And then, of course, the artist gets money, but then you also have the company that designed the ad mat for that artist tour. There is a lot of money involved, but it's also because there's a lot of people that are employed by it. There's a lot of pieces to that pie involved to bring that experience and everything to you. So I hope that when it's all said and done, people will see the human side of it a bit more than before. Uh, It's so true. And it's such an important part of this industry because there's so many people who really have that creative force. Uh, And that's who looking for those stories from and and kind of bringing in new ideas and also a history, kind of a history lesson for all of us on where we came from and and where we're going. I think there's so much to tap into and I look forward to doing that. Paul, great talking to you. As we do this, episodes could range anywhere from 20 minutes to 90 minutes, right? I mean, it's just kind of depending on the story we're trying to tell on that day. One of the beauties of podcasts is you're able to listen to it whenever you want. And in many cases, like I can speak personally, I listen to podcasts a lot when I go for walks or if I'm driving in the car or taking any sort of trip. And often it's not timed out with the trip I'm taking or the walk I'm taking. One episode is 30 minutes or another episode is 90 minutes. just means that it lasts that much longer or that much less. I think one of the goals is we want to make sure we highlight these people that we have on But also, we don't want to cut the conversation too short. We don't want to have it go on forever, but we want to keep it to where if things are really interesting and we have enough content there, then we want to let it flow and sort of see what ideas come from it and see what everyone can learn. And other ones might be shorter, and that's not to knock on them, but everyone's got their own experiences. So we're going to keep them tight as much as we can, but their length is probably going to vary. 
Yeah, we want to give it space to breathe, right? And that's one of the great things about a podcast is sometimes, you know, there's an episode that's for you and sometimes there's not. Maybe we talk to somebody about group sales. That may not be something that really interests you. And that's okay. Then you can just pick up at the next episode. We want to talk people on all sides of the industry. How often, right now as we're thinking about this, and obviously this is very subject to change, but if somebody's wondering, hey, what do we expect, right? We're thinking like maybe once, twice a month, kind of after we get past the first few, right? Is that kind of the goal for now or kind of what we're thinking? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to make it up as we go along, right? Yeah. We'll just sort of see how it goes. And obviously we have to see the time that it takes for production and to get people lined up and everything. But yeah, the thought is to do maybe two a month and maybe that'll increase, maybe it'll decrease and maybe it'll be somewhat reflective of the month. Maybe there'll be more one month and less another, but definitely initially we're just going to kind of see how things go and put them out whenever we can get them out and when it makes sense. And very much looking forward to it. Paul Hooper, if people are looking to get in touch with you and they want to tap into your expertise or just reach out to you and send you a note, what's the best of them to reach you? You can find me on Facebook. I'm on Instagram at Paul M. Hooper. Also LinkedIn, Twitter, basically everywhere on social media. And we have accounts for this podcast, Adventures in Venueland, on all those services too. So if you stumble onto us there and you want to reach out to us through any of those channels. EventArenaMarketing.com, again, is the EAMC website. There's a contact us page there. You can reach us through that. You can also reach out to me, Dave Ruttelberger, on uh, Facebook, or I'm at Dave Ruttelberger on Twitter or Instagram. So with that, I think we'll wrap things up. Thank you so much for listening to Adventures in Venue Land. You can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. And until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone.